Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. I was uh, made the mistake of turning on the news this week and I just, you know, I just watched with my eyes like this, just seeing the train wrecks that are happening all over our society. And friends, you have to realize that as evil as things are getting now, they're nothing compared to the evil that the disciples faced when they were walking the earth. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, make the most of every opportunity, the days are evil. And when Paul was ministering, when Timothy was ministering in Ephesus, the days were exponentially more evil than they are today, believe it or not. Uh, there was a corruption in politics, high taxation, there was polytheism, and there was this goddess Diana who was the goddess of uh, fertility and agriculture. And you could have your own God and everyone had their own God, but most, mostly everyone added Diana to their list. There was a temple to her, and I can't even speak from the pulpit the things people would do to worship their God of fertility, but you could imagine. There's sexual immorality and homosexuality, and you can read all about it in 1 Timothy. In the midst of all of that, the great burden I faced this week is I was just thinking about what it was like to live in the shoes of the disciples during the time that they they were ministering. Paul ramps up 2 Timothy in the the whole letter to give him the charge, preach the word. And as I think of our mandate from the Lord himself and churches for every generation to preach the word, we must know that the church and Christians have always been distracted to pursue the things of this world, to to fight the battles of this world. But our number one commandment from the the Lord in in our worship service is to preach the word. And you look at uh, what the Bible says will happen at the end of times, that there will be churches that will abandon their mandate from the Lord to preach the word. And there will be pastors and preachers and so-called preachers who stand in the pulpits today, and they're not preaching the word. But they're preaching headlines. They're preaching politics. They're preaching things that our flesh want to hear preached from the pulpits. And the Bible says that in that last times, not only will there be preachers in the pulpits preaching these things as they've abandoned the Word of God, but people will be flocking to them to have their ears itched because they'll be hearing what they want to hear and what appeals to their flesh. But brothers and sisters, we must be committed to the Word of God each and every day of our lives and resist the temptations of this world that wants to distract you. Today is no exception. We turn to the Word of God and we walk through it verse by verse. And whatever topics the Lord brings to us is what we'll talk about on that particular day. That's why I love preaching through a book of the Bible. And I love planning out my preaching calendar in pencil three years in advance so no one could ever accuse me of targeting groups of people or I just preach whatever the Word says, and the preacher should just communicate God's Word. And so today we're going to do that, and what we're going to see is the Lord's zeal in winning lost people. And as I read through this, all week this week, I just over and over reading commentaries, I just began to think, Lord, do I have that zeal? Does our church have that zeal? Or have we taken the bait and decided to fight the battles that are out in the world? by abandoning our mandate for the Word of God and His mission. 
Our passage this week is found in 512. It's just a few verses this morning. But leading up to this, we saw a couple passages prior when the Holy Spirit goes to church and how the, the church was unified and people were giving very generously for their mission, for the mission the Lord has given them. And so much in life we see happening here in the scripture or vice versa where when the Lord works, it's almost like Tony Evans calls this this cosmic chess match. The Lord will make his move and then the devil makes his move. And then it's the Lord's turn, then it's the devil's turn. And back and forth throughout history and here we are today. But we see this in the text. We see the Lord do a great thing in the church and then it's followed by a but. And what, what happens at that point is the devil making his move. We saw Joseph, Barnabas being very generous, and then we're told, but Ananias and Sapphira. And this was an opportunity for the devil to make his move. Ananias and Sapphira in our previous text, they were hypocrites. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They had sold their property, and they didn't have to give any of it to the church. But instead, they communicated that they were going to give everything because they cared about the praise of man. They lied. Peter called them out on it, and they both dropped dead, and the undertakers come and take them away that very moment, and they're buried. And so what will the Lord do next? Now that the Lord has moved, the devil has uh, brought sin into the church, and now, now it's time for the Lord to move again. And next week we'll see, okay, now it's the devil's response, and next week's passage will begin with the word but. And such may be the case in your life, friends, where you might see the Lord do a great thing in your life or in our church, and it'll be followed by the word but. It'll be a time of the Lord moving and working and doing great things. And it might be an event or a weekend or a season. And that's followed by discouragement as the devil makes his move. And you just have to weather the storm until the Lord makes his. But here we see the Lord making his move in Acts 5.12. And what we're going to see here is the Lord used the unusual to attract the unsaved. Why? Because he's passionate about reaching lost people. Verse 12 starts out, now many signs and wonders were regularly done. This would be routine, normal, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all done in Solomon's portico. Warren Wearsby makes the observation that each significant age begins with the Lord doing signs and wonders. And he says when the Mosaic age began, the Lord was performing signs and wonders through Moses. And when the prophetic age began, the Lord was performing signs and wonders through Elijah and Elisha. But now we have the, the new church age is beginning. And, and here we have this introduction, this inaugural of the church age is being met with signs and wonders by the Lord himself as he reigns in heaven. It's just for the, this inaugural event, the very beginning of the age, we see these amazing miracles taking place. This one verse tells us the what, the who, and the where. The what, of course, as we look at this passage, is shock and awe brought about my miracles. The Lord is sending this rippling effect through the people, non-believers especially, of shock and awe. When the Lord walked the earth, he displayed his power through his teaching. And people said, he's teaching like nobody's business. He's teaching as one who has authority. How can he do that? He's, he's God. He displayed his power through healing people and casting out demons. And after Jesus was crucified, he was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. But just before he ascended, by now we should all know Acts 1.8. It's the, the driving force of the entire book of Acts. 
Acts 1.8 says, but Jesus talking to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing here in this passage is the, the witnessing power of the Holy Spirit on the move through the hands of the apostles beginning in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is giving the apostles the ability to be witnesses for Jesus. They are to testify about everything they've seen and they've heard. And what specifically have they seen and heard? The resurrection. Nineteen sermons are found in the book of Acts and every single sermon references the resurrection. It was central to their message. And just like today, the, the disciples lived in a world and a culture controlled by lies and deception. The culture, the government, the media, all of their day were suppressing truth. Not much has changed. It's the devil's tactic for every generation. It's like a Mad Libs. You just fill in the blanks for the next generation as far as who will be doing it. The, the government, the culture did not want the truth to be spoken. And anyone who would speak the truth would be canceled in their time. They didn't call it canceling. What they called it was kicked out of the synagogue. It was more like excommunication. And when a person was removed from the synagogue, they couldn't buy or sell. They were, they were shamed by the society and also by their family. The cancel culture is not anything new. To proclaim that Jesus was resurrected from the dead was considered treason in this, in this age. Using today's terminology, the message of the resurrection went against the narrative of the day. If this were uh, happening today with the apostles, they would be kicked off social media for violating terms and conditions. They would be censored all over the place. The apostles would have their homes raided by the FBI as charges were being trumped up to get them in and out of prison. Congress would be having hearings and to try to discredit them so the people would not listen to them. Satan has always used the culture to punish believers who are obedient to Christ by proclaiming the truth. Religious leaders have pronounced that Jesus is dead. They have pushed all the lies, these lies, these false narratives into the culture in every possible way. Don't believe me? Let me read to you from Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Friends, it's the same script today. Matthew 28, 11 through 15 tells us this. While they were going... Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. This is about the resurrection. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, his disciples, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So what did the, the guard do? They took the money. And they did as they were directed. And this is the story that has been spread among the Jews to this day. This would be up to the point of Matthew writing this gospel. You see, friends, the government, the, the media of the day, the schools, the culture, were all suppressing the truth that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so to show up on the scene and say that Jesus was alive, it was countercultural. It was a, an arrestable offense. You could even receive the capital punishment for proclaiming truth. And just like Timothy and Ephesus, any lie was acceptable. You could worship any false gods you want. 
But if you come in like Paul did and say there's only one God, you're worshiping lies, you'll be driven out of town. This took great boldness for the apostles to stand up in the heart of Jerusalem at Solomon's portico in the shadow of the temple and to proclaim the truth that Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. We have to understand the magnitude of what they're doing. This would be as if you were to go to any of the local colleges and with a bullhorn and stand in the center of campus and say marriage is between one man and one woman. You'd be driven out of town if you made it out without getting beat up. It'd be like walking into a college class and say there aren't many genders. There's not 30 genders or hundreds of genders. There's just two genders. Just a man and a woman. You'd be driven right out of town. I say all this to show you the magnitude of what it was like for the apostles to stand up at the temple and say that Jesus is risen from the dead. They would have been under the same scrutiny by the culture because they're going against the grain of the culture. There are several reasons why we see the Lord using signs and wonders. I'm going to give you five if you'd like to take notes. You should write these down. Because as we see here, why is the Lord using signs and wonders? Why is he doing it through the hands of the apostles? And why is it happening at the temple? I want to know these things. Number one is that the signs and the wonders, they validate the ministry of the apostles. These miracles show the people that the messengers were sent from God to give them a message. If they just showed up without signs and wonders, people would say, are you really from God? Because your message is against the culture. Your message is against the textbook that we're reading from in our classroom at school. Are you really from God? Well, the signs and wonders make it very clear that God is with them. The second reason we see the Lord using signs and wonders is they they brought people to the apostles to hear the message. People were so interested, and there weren't all were being healed. Some were just entertained by the, 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 the sideshow, if you will. What are they doing? They're healing people. They're casting out demons. I want to see this. The Lord used the signs and the wonders to draw non-believers to come and hear the gospel preached through Peter and John and the other disciples. The third reason we see here is that they met the needs of those who are suffering. The signs and the wonders, the miracles, they met the needs, and it shows us the Lord remains compassionate. The Lord has compassion on the people with whom he was healing in a great way. The fourth reason of the five is this. They not only validate the messengers, but the miracles also validate the message. And the Lord is working from heaven, just as he did when he walked the earth, through the hands of the apostles, to show that the message these men is saying is true. Fifth and finally, the signs and wonders, they discredit the message of the culture. And not just the message of the culture, but the messengers of the culture. They're saying that all your government officials, all all your law enforcement that are helping to push this lie into the culture, all your schools, all your media and social media, they're lying to you. When they tell you that Jesus is dead, the signs and the wonders flies right in the face of the Sadducees who taught there was no resurrection. The miracles are simply used here to kickstart and launch the church in Jerusalem. And now that is the who or the what. Now let's look at the who. We're told here these signs and wonders were happening at the hands of the apostles. Know, friends, that there's two words for apostle. One is capital A and one is lowercase a. The capital A term is used here. These are the 12 apostles. 
The word apostle simply means the sent ones. And you could be sent by someone and be a lowercase a, or you could be the original 12 and be the, the capital letter A. Are you with me? And there are people today who claim to be the capital letter A apostle, and they're false teachers. And I wouldn't call their churches churches, I'd call them cults, because what they're saying is that when they speak, they're speaking authoritatively as if their words themselves are equal to the Word of God. There are no modern day capital letter A apostles. There are only lowercase letter. All of us are apostles in the, in the sense that we are ministers of the gospel. All of us are sent by the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim truth of the gospel. Paul was later will become an apostle as the Lord appears to him. And here we're told that many signs and wonders were happening at the hands of the apostles. And now we're told where. And this could have happened anywhere, but it happens at Solomon's portico. Again, I said right in the shadow of the temple. If there was a, a, a 10 scale on a places that are hostile to the gospel, northern Israel would be on the low end of the spectrum. Jerusalem would be on the high end, but within Jerusalem, the temple mount would be the most hostile place for the gospel because that's where the religious leaders are. And that's where the Lord drew his people and Solomon's portico in the shadow of the temple to proclaim truth in the most hostile environment in the world for the gospel. And that's where the gospel begins. The church begins there. And friends, that should encourage us because our world is not hostile yet. It's nothing like it was for the apostles when they walked the earth. And the Lord empowered them through his spirit. Their verse 13 tells us this. And the rest dared none of the rest there joined them but the people held them in high esteem this here more than likely is a reference to the non-believers those who were outside the church they heard about the stories of Ananias and Sapphira they heard that someone lied within their church service and they were struck dead and not just one person but two people there is power going on in that church we better keep our ground we better watch from a distance but they were held in high esteem by the people. They were regarded because, highly because of the miracles and the power that existed with them. They knew that God was with them. And God was with their message. The world at this point is afraid of the church. And today, friends, we live in a world that has no fear of the church. Why? Because maybe it's because we don't live in the power of the Spirit. Because we don't believe. We've gotten so caught up in the things of this world and pursuing the things of this world, we, we almost would rather have our ears tickled if we're honest, rather than being on mission for Christ and doing what he's called us to do. Look what happens as a result to their obedience. Look what happens as a result of standing up against the culture and proclaiming the word of God and letting the Lord move through them with these signs and wonders. Verse 14, and more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The Lord is blessing their ministry. The Lord is magnifying their impact on society and culture. Isn't that what we desire, Christians? That the Lord would impact our involvement in the community? What were they doing to be involved? They were proclaiming truth. They were proclaiming the gospel. And the Lord was doing great and mighty things among them. The people were getting saved all over the place. It says more than ever. And we've already known that groups of thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved. 
Our world today wants to silence the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. And the devil wants to put a muzzle on you and put a muzzle on local churches to not proclaim the truth. The apostles are not fearful men. Our world wants to teach that there is no hell, there is no sin, that all religions will get you to heaven. And these are all lies. Most people believe today that all you have to do to go to heaven is die. Have you ever been to a funeral for someone who's gone to hell? I haven't. I've officiated hundreds of funerals. I've been to hundreds of funerals. And every single funeral, someone always says, boy, that person's a lot better off today. Are they really better off? Is there faith in Christ? Friends, when you die, will you be better off? Or is this as close as you're going to get to heaven? Are you, is your faith in Christ? All these teachings are from the pit of hell that tell people that there's all different religions and all these religions can coexist. Have you seen that bumper sticker? That's not true. That's a lie. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says he is the only way to be saved. And the apostles were standing up in this culture, friends, in these times, especially when they left Jerusalem and saying there are no many gods, there's only one God. They were beaten and pushed out of town, but they stood for truth. Their world was a lot more hostile than our world, a lot more evil than we're seeing today. And here we see the gospels proclaim the Lord is doing signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit is opening the eyes of the hearers and the ears. And look at verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. Imagine the hospitals clearing out every bedroom. Imagine the ICUs just dumping people out in the streets and pushing them out in carts, hoping that the apostles would walk by and they would be healed. Imagine a whole street just lined up with people with all sorts of ailments. That's what's happening here. And the power of the Lord was so great and mighty, look what happens next. That as Peter came by, at least, at the very minimum, his shadow might fall on some of them. That the Lord was moving even through the shadow of Peter. That if the shadow would fall on a sick person, the person was instantly healed. This power is not coming from Peter, friends. It's coming from the Lord Jesus from heaven. The Lord is mighty and powerful. Verse 16 says, the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem... How could this possibly be? It's because the news was spreading so quickly. The news had filled Jerusalem. It's pushing through the gates. It's going down the streets and over the hills, into the valleys, into the neighborhoods. Imagine if you had gone to shopping that day in Jerusalem because you've got a sick person a mile away. Someone that you left and you know they could possibly die before you get back home, but you have to get some supplies to get back to treat them. And you walk into Jerusalem and people are being healed left and right. Shadows from the Apostle Peter are falling on people. They're getting healed. Don't you think you would drop everything and run back home and grab your sick loved one? It could be your spouse, your parents. It could be your child who's lying on a sick, a deathbed sick. That's what people were doing. They were bringing the sick and the afflicted and those who were afflicted with what? Unclean spirits. These were people who were living in homes with their relatives who had demons in them. Demon-possessed people that they would grab and take to this, these streets that they would be cleansed out by the apostles, and they were all healed. Everyone that came in contact with the apostles were healed. 
Demon possession is taboo to talk about today in our Western world, isn't it? But friends, you better believe that the demons are just as active today as they were in the New Testament era. In fact, the apostle or the disciple Mark, Mark tells us, John Mark, that uh, there were demon encounters in nearly every chapter of his writings. And it fascinates me as you read through these demon encounters that demonic people followed Jesus. And many of these encounters were inside the synagogues. Isn't that fascinating? And you might think, surely a demon-possessed person would never come to church. That's not what the scriptures show us. In fact, I won't go into much detail because I don't have much time. But I'll tell you that a couple years ago, I was preaching in Texas. And we're in the middle of the service. And a woman opens up the back door, slams them shut. And of course, everyone turned and looked at that woman. I don't need any help getting people distracted while I'm preaching. And that woman tried to help me. And she walked up and down the aisles, and people just sat and watched her, and they weren't listening to the message at all. She just wandered the aisles. I'm even watching this woman walk around. What is going on? And then after our service was over, we had our Sunday school classes after service. We had two services. It was in between the services. What do you think she did during the Sunday school classes? She went into every single room, slamming the doors and picking up chairs and moving them around, never sitting down, disrupting every single class. And we met with her afterwards only to find out that she had an unclean spirit. And we ministered to her. I was in a church in Colorado. The preacher was preaching. I was a youth pastor. Uh, The uh, auditorium was probably twice this size. It was packed out. In the middle of the preacher's sermon, a woman stands up and began to scream, point, don't believe a word that man says. The Bible's not true. And then she began to cackle like the, the witch in The Wizard of Oz. Friends, we must not be surprised when crazy things happen when we're ministering for the gospel. There's nothing to be afraid of. The Lord is large and in charge. We must recognize it. And the apostles here were given power to overthrow these demons and cast them out. If you're a part of our Wednesday night toolbox class, I teach Bible study methods. Not this week, but next week. I'll go into more detail as we look at John chapter 8. And I welcome you, if you're not a part of that class, to join us in two weeks on Wednesday night at 6. So now this leads us to the most important question of the day. Are you ready? On the count of three, one, two, three. So what? what? Y'all need some caffeine and some sugar, so come back at 4.30. Because as we examine Scripture, as we walk through God's Word, we have to ask the question, what do we do with it? How do we apply this to our lives? And number one, just going from the text here, we see that Jesus draws crowds to hear the gospel. This isn't new. We see this as a common theme, especially in Acts, over and over and over again. He's drawing crowds, and he's using these signs and wonders to do that. And if you're watching online or you're seated here today, and your prayer is, Lord, would you please draw a crowd to our church of non-believers that we might share the gospel? I want to tell you the Lord's heard your prayer. Because today at 4.30, hundreds of people will be gathered in our parking lot for candy. And we'll be handing out gospel tracts. There'll be people in tents praying with uh, individuals who come. The Gideons will be here handing out a little New Testament Bible for every single person that comes. I'm going to stand up on the platform about every 20 or 30 minutes and uh, proclaim the gospel as we have raffles. It will be a gospel-centered missional opportunity for all of you to be a part of. I hope that you'll join us at 4.30. Bring your family and friends. Bring your neighbors. Bring, bring children from all over the place to hear the gospel message. It'll be a chance for us to share Christ and tell people that Jesus is alive. But the question for you, church, is do you believe he's alive? Or do you just say it? Does your behavior reflect a heart that truly believes Jesus is alive? 
and he is ministering through you and through our church, or do you doubt? Because the Lord is looking for people who believe that he is alive and he's ministering today to save souls just as he was when we read this story, read these events. Monday night is uh, tomorrow night's Halloween. And I can't think of a greater time for us to be a light in a dark world than on Halloween night. And we have out on our table out front by our, in our foyer, a tables full of bundles of 50 gospel tracts. Has our church name on it, come and join us, the Times. Talks about kids and teens, life challenges, looking for community. And then you turn it over, it's the Christian gospel message. It's a chance for children to receive the gospel message. You can't go to schools and share the gospel, but one night a year, the Lord is going to bring children to your doorstep. And they're not coming for candy. The Lord's bringing them for you to share the gospel with them. Imagine if all of us stayed home and handed out these gospel tracts and put them in people's bags and prayed over them that they would receive the gospel and believe. How powerful is a gospel tract such as this? There are several, uh, two Muslim girls a couple years ago that came to our church service on a Sunday morning. And they were sitting in the back and after service and they were very moved by the message and they were crying. Our associate pastor said, why are you here? He said, well, we, we lost our friend this week, a tragic and sudden death. And we'd never been to church before and we thought we'd come to church. And he said, well, you've passed an awful lot of churches between your college campus and ours. Why did you choose this one? They said, well, two weeks ago, there were some people walking across campus, and one of them handed us a gospel track. She didn't say gospel track. She said literature. And it had the church's name on it. And the young lady said, at the time, I had no interest whatsoever. I just took it. She said, I thought I threw it away. But what she had done is she put it on her nightstand and forgot all about it and didn't even see it. And that morning, she woke up so burdened by the loss of her friend, she told her, her other friend, we need to go somewhere. And they saw the gospel track on it with our church name and address. And they both said, let's go there. These were two Muslim young ladies who had never been in a Christian building. And they said they never heard that message. What message? The message that God sent his son to die for their sins. These girls were so convicted by the gospel message, they repented of a works-based theology. And they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And it all started by a gospel track being handed to them two weeks prior. Isn't that amazing how the Lord can use these? So I want to encourage you to take these bundles and hand them out to folks on Halloween night. Number two, so what is this? The Holy Spirit gives believers courage in the culture. And what the church in America needs right now is a, a breath of courage breathed into it. Don't you agree? I want courage. I want you to have courage. I want my children to have courage because they're thrown in the lion's den in this culture today. And the culture is against us. And it's especially against the children. And all throughout Scripture, we see God giving His people courage to stand up and proclaim the truth. I'm so, so blessed to have 18 new members join our church today. Isn't that awesome? One of the new members said she was driving by our church on our tailgate party. And she was just driving down the road and saw everyone standing outside eating uh, bratwurst and hamburgers. Thought she'd pull in. And the next thing you know, she's joining our church. That's the power of a bratwurst right there. We need to do more of those. But the Lord uh, gives courage to his people. And I'm so thankful for those who joined our flock who want to be a part of what the Lord is doing here in North Raleigh. And maybe it's something we could pray for each of us. Pray for me as I pray for you that we would have courage to stand for truth, to share the gospel with people without any fear of loss or fear of opinions of man. 
that we would honor our Heavenly Father and watch the Holy Spirit work in amazing ways through you as you share the life-saving message of the gospel. Third and finally, we'll wrap up with this. God uses pain to position people. As you read through this, you see all these people being brought out to the apostles. And who are they that's being brought out? It's people that are hurting, people that are suffering. They have diseases. They have demons. They're in the worst case scenarios in life. And if they were perfectly well, if they were perfectly healed, who's to say they wouldn't have come out that day and heard the gospel message preached by the apostles and gotten saved? But just as God used the pain in their life to to get them out on the streets, to get them where the message was being proclaimed, God will use pain in your life. If you're unsaved, he'll use pain to get you to where the gospel is being proclaimed, that you might hear it. And maybe you're here today for no other reason that your world is just caved in. And you're looking for some place to go because you're looking for hope. The Lord has brought you here to know that he offers you hope. And he's the only one that could give you true satisfaction in life. Or maybe you're a believer who's wandered away. You're not living for God like you used to. And if you're honest, you just got distracted by the things of the world to no, no real fault of your own. You're just tempted and you give in. And maybe the Lord's using pain today to get your attention to draw you back to him, to get you in a a position. Maybe that position is right here, right now, where you're hearing that God loves you and he wants you back. And then he wants you to walk with him again. But we see all these people through the shock and awe, the signs and wonders that the Lord draws to himself, and he uses their pain to draw them near to him. Is that you today? At the end of the day, we're all healed spiritually through faith in the gospel message. That God the Father sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. If you simply believe this glorious message that Christ died for sins, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this, this passage. Just these few verses, Lord, show us the importance of, uh, you have for saving souls. How you inaugurate the church age with signs and wonders. How passionate you are, Lord, to save souls and give us that same zeal. Lord, your word is the solution and that this world needs, the gospel message. It transforms hearts and minds. It takes hearts of stone and replaces them with hearts of flesh. The faith in the gospel makes people a new creation. Through faith in the, this great message, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are liberated from the reign of sin in our life. If there's anyone here today who's never trusted you, Father, please burden their hearts and minds that they would believe this gospel and be saved. And finally, if there's any brother or sister here who's just wandered and their, their life is just in torment now and they're looking for hope, let them know that they could come back to Jesus any day. The scriptures say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.